Hey everyone, welcome into the NKY Bracketology Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter, joined today with Michael. Um, splitting this episode up again, um, Zach can't be with us today, so it'll just be Michael and I. Um, we're going to just do a lot of bracketology talk today. Um, we're getting into that season where everybody wants to know what every game means for their team, and we haven't really done a full big bracketology episode yet. Um, so we figured we'd take this time and do that. Um, that way we're kind of all in the same spot when uh, T3 joins us here in a couple of weeks. Um, so with that, I will start with just like, I'll read my seed list out. Um, and then we can just, we'll kind of discuss and go from there. And I'll talk about some of the hard points and some of the easier decisions I had and things like that. <coughs> um, so with my one seeds, I had Purdue, Houston, Arizona, and Yukon. Um, with my two seeds, it's North Carolina, Tennessee, Kansas, and Wisconsin. Three seeds are Auburn, Baylor, Kentucky, and Duke. Four seeds are Marquette, Dayton, BYU, and San Diego State. Um, five seeds are Illinois, Alabama, Creighton, and Oklahoma. Six seeds are Memphis, Utah State, Colorado State, and Utah. Seven is Villanova, TCU, Iowa State, and Clemson. Eight seeds are FAU, St. John's, Mississippi State, Texas Tech. Nine seeds are Texas A&M, Grand Canyon, Princeton, and Indiana State. Um, Ten seeds are Nevada, Seton Hall, New Mexico, and Boise State. Eleven seeds are Northwestern, South Carolina, and then Nebraska and Wake Forest, and then Ole Miss and Michigan State. So my last four teams in are Nebraska, Wake Forest, Ole Miss, and then Michigan State is the last team in my bracket. Um, for the 12 seeds, we have St. Mary's, Oregon, Samford, and McNeese State. Um, St. Mary's, Oregon are both on the outside looking in right now from an at-large standpoint, but they're leading their um, conference, so they're getting an automatic qualifier for now. Um, Samford, McNeese State, um, round that out. They're more just the one big kind of leagues. Um, 13 line, it's UC Irvine, North Texas, Appalachian State, and Akron. Um, North Texas is leading the AAC right now, so that's how they got in. Um, I know Memphis and FAU are ahead of them on the seed list, but we're going with conference leaders for the automatic qualifiers. Um, so for the 14 seeds, we have Eastern Washington, Vermont, High Point, Drexel. Um, 15 seeds is Oakland, St. Peter's, South Dakota State, Sam Houston State. And then on the 16 line, it is Western Illinois, Jackson State, Central Connecticut, Eastern Kentucky, NC Central, and then Lafayette. Um, there's a lot of teams that I don't expect to actually make it right now. Um, kind of dragging that 16 line down a little bit, but they're leading their conference, so we keep them in. Um, as my first four out, I have Cincinnati as the first team out, um, Kansas State, Florida, and Colorado. And then the next four out are Ohio State, Washington State, James Madison, and Georgia. Um, there's about 10 or 11 teams outside of that that I'm under, like that are under consideration right now. Um, notable be, would be Gonzaga. Um, Providence is on there, but Providence is just trending down. Um, Miami, Florida is on there. Um, and then Virginia and Virginia Tech are two other teams to watch. Um, and finally, Xavier would be the final team on that list that like is really trending up right now. Um, they were my ninth team out right behind Georgia today. 
Um, so, Michael, what questions do you have from the get-go? Anything? Well, the first thing that jumps out is Kansas down at the third number two seed. Uh, I thought they would have still been at the very least closer to the one line as opposed to now on the bottom part of the uh, the two line. How did, like, say, Tennessee and North Carolina get past them? I understand UConn and Arizona and maybe Houston, but how did North Carolina and Tennessee get past them? So I'll start with Houston real quick just to finish them off. Their predictive metrics are still number one in the country. They're just not going to move from the one line for two quadrant one A road losses. So I know people don't like it. I've gotten DMs about it. Houston's staying there until their metrics drop. Um, for North Carolina, let me – I'm pulling up their metrics again real quick. Sorry. Um, North Carolina and Tennessee both have better metrics than Kansas does from a predictive standpoint. Now, strength of record favors Kansas, but predictives don't. Um, right now, Kansas is like 11th in the net. Um, Ken Palm is 13. BPI is 16. Like, they're in the teens for a lot of their metrics. I want to see a team a lot closer to, like, in that 10 range, like 5 to 10 range for a 1 and 2 seed. Um, so, like, North Carolina – most of their metrics, except for their strength of schedule, are single digits. And then the same with Tennessee. Tennessee's strength of schedule is actually fourth. So I have North Carolina above Tennessee right now. It's close. You could convince me either way. Um, but I went with the head-to-head there to get North Carolina ahead of Tennessee. Um, North Carolina also has four quadrant one wins um, to Tennessee's two. Tennessee does have five quadrant two wins and they're two and two um, away from home. Um, The Tennessee Kansas debate is a lot closer than the North Carolina and Kansas debate. Um, But for now I left it as Tennessee above Kansas just for the predictive metric side. Um, But Kansas is closer to UConn than they are to Wisconsin on my seed list. If that makes sense. Especially after Wisconsin lost to Penn state earlier in the week. Yes. So there's nobody to really replace Wisconsin on the two line. Auburn, Baylor, Kentucky, and Duke are my three seeds. All of them have holes in their resumes right now. Um, So that's why Wisconsin stayed. They didn't really drop. But the gap between the last one seed and the third two seed is very close. But then the gap between the third two seed and the fourth two seed is very close. There is a little bit further away. Do you like Auburn's resume better than Baylor's, even though Baylor beat Auburn? Resume, no. Predictive metrics, yes. Um, So that was like, I put my bracket out about an hour ago uh, before we started recording. And the first question I got was, how do you have Auburn above Baylor? I have Auburn above Baylor because of the predictive metrics. Auburn has not played hardly anybody except for Baylor. Um, I struggled with this one for a while. um, But again, we're back to... Auburn is more like closer to the single digits, like hovering right around 10 for most of their metrics, whereas Baylor's like 12 to 15. Um, their strength of records are super close, but Ken Palm and the net both lean towards Auburn. So for now, I left it like that. Um, neither one of them have like a really, really bad loss. Auburn does have a Q2 loss, but Auburn has one less overall loss than um, Baylor does. So head to head didn't come into play for me today. It could have, like, if you said, hey, I want Baylor above Auburn, okay, fine. I'm not going to argue on it. But for now, I'm leaning still a little bit towards the predictives. Yes. So then 
BYU, Dayton, San Diego State, those are all interesting ones. I like where Dayton is placed. BYU, I'm sure it has a lot to do with their predicted metrics, which is, at least as far as their net is still in the top five. Exactly, yeah. Um, and, I mean, we they picked up a quality win at UCF. Yes. I know that's a wild thing to say, um, but UCF has turned into a, like a quality opponent at this point. Um, and then they beat Iowa State. So they got two quad one wins this week um, for BYU. That was their biggest glaring hole in their metrics right now was they needed more good wins. Well, they picked up two of them. One was on the road. I don't feel like we can keep saying that they need to pick up wins and then not give them the credit when they do. And BYU obviously has the win over San Diego State, which seems which, to help them. Yeah. It did play in a little bit here. Um, I did go back and forth between BYU, San Diego State, and Illinois. Um, Illinois had the quad three loss uh, to Maryland. Maryland. Yeah. So that's why they're on the five line. Um, San Diego State got the last five seed or four seed. And then BYU, I put ahead. BYU has the head to head, but then they also have one more quadrant one win. Um, one thing that is a concern is they're one and two on the road so far this year. Um, so I want to see them get a couple more road wins or they're going to continue to slip a little bit. Um, talking, about, talking about Illinois? No, talking about BYU. Sorry. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, San Diego State has three road wins, which I like, um, but I want to see that record continue to improve because they're three and three at this point. One thing I think people are underrating with San Diego State and Dayton is they both have like top 15 uh, resume metrics. In fact, Dayton, I think they're, top, they're four and six. Four and five. Yeah. Yeah. So Dayton, I didn't think twice about Dayton going on the four line. No. Um, and I didn't think twice about jumping BYU or San Diego State over Dayton. Right now, Dayton's closer to the three line than they are kept getting caught by BYU, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, their predictive metrics aren't great. And I know that I'm sitting here saying that, like, I used predictives to help measure other teams. But Auburn and Baylor both haven't played, like, great schedules yet. There's not enough, like <laughs> – actually in their resume for me to make a formal decision. Whereas like with Dayton, they've already played five quadrant one games. They've played three more quadrant two games. That's the bulk of their schedule. I don't see Dayton getting a three seed come March, but right now they're definitely in contention for one. So then after that, I think the, uh, the sixth line makes sense. Memphis has taken on some, well, took on a pretty questionable loss to South Florida and has just been playing with fire for about a month now and finally got burned. You can't, Yeah, you can't do what they're doing and not expect it to come back and bite you. And their loss, their wins in the beginning of the year looked great. I was really impressed. I thought Memphis was going to be a Final Four caliber team, and they still might be. But those wins over Michigan and Missouri and Arkansas and Texas A&M and Clemson like, those are names that you beat, but, like, they're not great wins. Every single one, I think, except for Texas A&M, is now lower in the net than they were when they beat them. Yes. And so. I would expect them to continue to fall a little bit. Clemson is at 39 in the net. They may hang out right around there just because the ACC is not great. Right. Uh, but they've been playing down to opponents recently. Um, Virginia's a mess this year. Uh, they're not even on my tournament, like, resumes at this point. Yeah. Uh, and I could, like, that's a quadrant two win right now, but it's getting closer to being quadrant three than three. It is quadrant yeah. one. Yeah. 
Uh, Michigan and Arkansas, neither of those are good. Those are good wins on paper, but they just don't hold the same weight we thought they would. Our, most of Arkansas's metrics are close, if not in the triple digits, and that yeah. just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so TCU, Iowa State, those are two teams that are so difficult to figure out because they just didn't play anybody in the non-conference season. They look like pretty good teams, but we got a long way to find out more. I Yeah, I just don't know what to do with it. Like, And Zach has had Iowa State high all year. I will give him credit. They are playing better. But they've only got one Quadrant 1 win out of four chances. If you win 25% of your Quadrant 1 games, you're going to end up on the bubble. And I don't know what to do with Iowa State right now, but a seven felt right. Like, it didn't feel wrong, especially with, like, their net being 10, Ken Palm being 14. Um, their strength of record and KPI, though, are 40 and 65, respectively. So their resume metrics are lagging behind a little bit, but their predictives are elite. Um, I At this point, though, I'm starting to transition more to you either put up or shut up. It's time to go out and win your games and not keep relying on the predictives. Uh, Another team to mention, uh, Florida Atlantic. I was going through their numbers earlier. I don't know that I've ever seen an at-large caliber team with a higher amount in as far as like average net losses than wins which is hard to imagine that's wild it was i was looking through it this morning and it was like their average net win was like 137 and their average net loss was like 152 or something it's yeah it's 129 for their average net win right now and then their net loss is 137. Okay. I have, yeah, I don't think I've ran into that before. FAU is one of those teams that I don't want to say that they'll end up on the bubble because they have like high quality wins over like Arizona and stuff, but I'm not looking at them as this big powerhouse anymore. It's like I'm starting to look at them more as like a middle of the table team where they might end up in the 8 9 game again this year. And they're another one with um, wins over the likes of, uh, what is it, Texas A&M, Butler. Butler, A&M, Virginia Tech. Not Liberty. as good of wins as we thought they would be, maybe. I mean, they've got the Arizona win, though, so that is definitely propping them up. Um, FAU fans need to be Texas A&M fans for the rest of the year because that's a neutral win. Um, right now, a&M is 44th in the net, so it's a Q1 game. But if that falls six spots, that becomes a Q2 game. And they need that Quadrant 1 win because they only have two more currently scheduled Quadrant 1 games. And that's at Memphis and at North Texas. And FAU's not proven they can play on the road. No. They are 1-2 and two, um, away from home at this point. They've so, only played three games away from home. That's surprising. Well, they've played seven neutral games. Okay. So they've played eight home, seven neutral, and then three away. Okay. Um, and their schedule for the AAC looks like it's a little backloaded with some road games. So that'll catch up here soon. I, I like where you have Texas A&M placed. I think I've seen a lot of people putting them down around like the 11 line or last four. And I think their strong schedule and pretty good wins are going to help them be a little higher to like where you have them. Yeah. And that's pretty important for Florida Atlantic. It, yeah, um, that's their tournament win. That's their, other than Arizona, that's their right. big, big win. 
Um, A&M, the quad three loss that they have taken hurts. Um, I mean, anytime you lose to a team like LSU, that that's not good, especially at home. Although LSU, at least lately, has not been as bad of a loss as it appeared at the time. Yeah. And they're up to 90th in the net right now. Um, so if they continue to climb, they might get to quadrant two loss, and then that would make A&M's resume look even better. Right. Um, right now, the SMU win... They went to A and M went to SMU and to Ohio State back to back games and, and won. They won both of them. Those are both really good wins at this point. Ohio State's not great. SMU's not great. But you went and you put it on the road and you did what you needed to. They also beat Iowa State on a neutral court as well. That's a big result that should hold some weight at the end of the year. Yep. Um, but other than that, there's not a ton on the resume. Um, if you had them at a 10 or 11 last week, I would have been fine with that. But they beat Kentucky at home, and that really just boosted them a whole like seed line and a half for me. It sure did. Um, looking at their metrics, nothing really stands out as great. Um, they played a number six strength of schedule in the country. Um, even their non-conference strength of schedule was 19th. So that's that's how you do it. I mean – Props to Buzz Williams for listening to the critics and scheduling good teams this year. I know the ten and seven record doesn't show it, but it's going to eventually pay off. I think it's the same thing Michigan State's doing. Yep, I, Michigan State's struggling a little bit more than A and M is, but it's very similar. They both have awful records when you start looking at them, but they've played hard teams, and that should help them like weather some storms in conference play. And Michigan State's win over Baylor is going to carry a lot of weight, and. At least for the moment, so does the one over Indiana State at home, which yep. is still is now back to quadrant one again. And that's going to be one of those that just yo-yos the entire year, I think. Well, it won't be settled until March, which sucks. But Michigan State fans need to root for Indiana State just to roll. Speaking of uh, mid-majors, uh, Grand Canyon, Princeton, Indiana State on the same seed line. Uh, how did Indiana State get back up to like a nine seed? So their metrics got a little bit better. Um, their nets 24, Ken Palm's 40th. Um, I actually should have had them. So my bracket on Monday had some errors in it. I apologize for that. Um, I hadn't, I didn't scrub it the way that I should have. And I ended up placing a couple teams on the wrong seat lines. So I should have had Indiana state like right around a 10 line. Um, and then this week they've just done just enough to get bumped up. Um, no losses outside of quadrant one is big because a lot of the teams we're going to start evaluating under them have quadrant two, quadrant three losses, um, or they just don't have anything on their resume. So Indiana State got a bump for that. They're also three and three on the road um, with a strength of record of 30. So if you told me they're going to be an 11 or a 12 seed, I wouldn't be upset with that per se, but I could see why like right now they'd probably be in that nine and 10 range. Indiana State also that went over Bradley is looking better again as Bradley has won six or seven in a row. Yes, and Bradley is a team, especially with the win over the win over uh, Utah State. If they continue to win games, they may have a chance of uh, sneaking in. But they got a long lot of games to win. Yeah, they're not on my under consideration right now, but they're one of those that like just kind of lurking in the background, um, kind of like some of the high major teams that are close to being considered. They're not there yet, but they're getting there. They're kind of around like where, um, you know, an LSU is, maybe yep. a Rutgers is, kind of somewhere around there. Like Florida State-ish type. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, so looking at Indiana State's schedule, though, they have three more games that aren't quadrant three or four. So there's not really going to be any opportunity for them to go up. And, like, it's Bradley, it's Drake, and then it's Southern Illinois. And that um, must be on the road. No, Drake is at home. No, the Southern Illinois must, must be Southern on the Illinois road. is at home. And that's quadrant – or at, uh, at Southern Illinois, sorry. Um, that is a quadrant two game, but yep. not necessarily comfortably quadrant two. Not anymore. Yeah. Uh, so the 10 seed, Nevada, Seton Hall, New Mexico, Boise State, makes a lot of sense. I don't agree with people putting Boise State down to the last four in for losing to UNLV when they have pretty good wins. And clearly UNLV is not a bad team. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, UNLV's shown that they're not a pushover. Um, I mean, I didn't stay up and watch the entire Chicago, uh, Colorado State game last night, but I know Colorado State pulled it out. But I'm not shocked that like UNLV's competitive. They're one of those teams that just, they're going to cause like chaos somehow. Really weird end of the game kind of sequence with um, Colorado State and UNLV where uh, Colorado State had got a rebound off a UNLV miss up by, up by four with about 46 seconds to go. And for whatever reason, UNLV decided not to foul. And by the time, you know, Colorado State got the ball back, there was like 15 or 16 seconds left. And for once, the last minute of the game took about a minute. Uh, Colorado State made made a couple free throws, made made a couple free throws with, with a few seconds left. UNLV hit a three at the buzzer to make it a three point game, and that was the game. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, I ended up. I had only slept like two hours last night, so I didn't make it through the late games. Part of the bad part about being on the East Coast. The uh, last far in. Um, yep. Wake Forest. I I might have replaced them with Cincinnati or, or Kansas State, but I sort of get it. Wake Forest metrics are fairly decent, but they just don't seem to have have any any enough quality wins yet at this point. So let me pull up. I struggled with my last four. Um, I don't like it, and I've talked to a bunch of different people that agree that like it's just one of those. It's a mess right now. None of these teams deserve to be in the tournament. So I left um, – I was down between Cincinnati. I knew I wanted Michigan State in, but I knew that they were going to be one of my last couple teams in. Um, they've got enough, like, good wins to keep them in the field for me, but they're not, like, quite ready to not be in Dayton yet for me. So the, resume met- the resume metric for Michigan State is terrible. Yes, but their predictives are just too really good, good to keep them yeah. out. So that's why they stayed in for me right now. Um so I put them as my last team in, and then I had Ole Miss as my second to last team in, and then Wake was third up in my um, list. But looking at it, they've got three Quadrant Two losses, and they're zero and two in Quadrant One. The reason that I kept them up for now is they've got five Quadrant Two wins. Um, the only team that's close to that is Kansas State. Um, Kansas State has four Quadrant Two wins, and then one Quadrant One win. Um, Cincinnati is sitting at one and three in quadrant one and then one and one in quadrant two. None of the three have any losses uh, outside of quadrant one or two. Um, the issue I have with Cincinnati is I still don't trust them. Um, they're just, they're all over the place, if that makes sense. Um, That's for sure. <laughs> so I'm kind of just, I'm at a, I don't want to say a loss, but like, 
I'm having a hard time justifying Wake and I'm having a hard time justifying Cincinnati. The problem is it came down to those two because I eliminated Kansas State with the uh, just like overall, like I their metrics are poor. Like their net 68, Ken Palm's 55, strength records 35, which is solid, but all of their predictives are going in the opposite direction. Uh, Florida is like the, if you put up a, a definite, like a definite or a picture of, next to a definition of a team that beats the team that should and loses to the ones that should, you would have a, a Florida Gator logo next to it. Absolutely. They're like 0 and 5 or 0 and 6 against quadrant one and the top half of quadrant two and undefeated against everyone else. Yeah. They're 0 and 5 in quadrant one and then 3 and 1 in quadrant two. Well, yes, the other day it was 0 and, 0 and 3 in uh, quadrant 2A and, you know, but it changed, obviously. But. Well, I don't have it split out into A and B right now. Um, okay. So it's very possible that you're right. But Florida is one of those that. Again, I just there's nothing that stands out that I like about yeah, that. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't either. Like I can go to Wake and I can say like, oh, I like like Ken Palm's in the 30s. Their nets in the 40s. Um, I like the road win here. You know. Yeah, like they have one uh, neutral win. They have one road win, but their schedule is more conducive to winning. Mm-hmm. Um, they really could have used that NC State game, and they really yeah, that one really hurt Florida State. They had a chance to kind of maybe not only put themselves in, but maybe a little bit more comfortably in. Yeah, and then you lose to NC State, which is a team that you're fighting with on the bubble. That's not what you want. Yeah. So I mean, they get Louisville today, and then they go to North Carolina on Monday. Don't so, lose to Louisville. Don't yeah. Don't lose to Louisville and have a positive metric performance yeah. against North Carolina. I'm not saying go beat them. I'm saying if your favorite, like Ken Palm, probably has – well, let me look at Ken Palm's numbers real quick. Where is the game? Is it at Pitt? What game? The North Carolina Pitt game. It's Wake. North Carolina. Oh, Wake. It's at North Carolina. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Wake Forge, yeah. that's you got to keep that in single digits. <laughs> um, I mean, North Carolina is favored by nine, according – 10, according to Ken Palm, with an 82% chance of winning. Wake needs to keep that in, like, the 7 to below range, in my opinion. That's a way to just help build their metrics back up a little bit um, and keep them in. Now, for Wake, looking, I'm sitting here looking at these resumes again. You said you would have had Cincinnati in. I'm completely fine with that. The reason that I have Wake there is I had put Wake at a 9 before they lost to Florida State. And then I had put them at a 10 when they lost to – or after they lost to Florida State. So then I dropped them another seed line. They're in the, like, first four in section now. Cincinnati, go go beat Oklahoma today, and you'll jump into the tournament. It's that simple. Is that a home game? It is. You got to win that game. Yeah. You you can you cannot lose home games when you've already lost one. At, or you cannot lose home games when you've already lost one already. Absolutely. And – they shouldn't have lost the Texas game. Yep. It is what it is. Now you got to find a way to win this one. Yep. And then looking at the next four out ones, Ohio State, they have one win in the first two quadrants. The Texas A&M, or the, was it the Alabama win? Which is yep. really good to have, but needs something else. It's not a whole resume. It's not like FAU with Arizona. Yeah. Like FAU's entire resume is built off of Arizona right now. And that's enough to keep them in the Washington, Washington, Washington State has been searching for about three years for the win to validate their high 
high net ranking for the past two and a half years, and they finally got the win over Arizona. Yeah, and I mean that that'll do it. Um, that keeps them in consideration for me now. Um, I don't know if they'll stay there, but they're there for now. James Madison, those two losses to um, what the one was to Southern Miss and then to Appalachian State. The second one, obviously, not as bad as the first, but they're not getting helped out from Kent State and Southern Illinois right now. No. And, and Michigan was, State. Yeah. They've got two quadrant three losses. Or, yeah, two quadrant threes. My thought was if they beat Michigan State, they probably would have had a solid at-large resume. I don't see them getting into the tournament without something crazy happening. Um, looking at their schedule now, they don't play – they have one more quadrant two game, and that's at Appalachian State. App State beat Auburn in in Boone, North Carolina this year. Yep. That's not an easy place to go play. No. And that's your only decent opportunity for a win. Yeah. So this will probably be, honestly, the last time that I have James Madison even on my, like, bubble sheet. They're going to have two Quadrant 4 games in the next couple, and then they go to Appalachian State. I don't see anything that's going to help their resume. They might really just be out. Yeah. So what are, let's go get into some of the uh, questions that we got. Okay. Um, so I'll move. So uh, we'll start with Zach. Um, he gave us a couple questions because he is having some family time today. Couldn't make it. But he wanted to ask, what's, what does it take for a team to erase a Quadrant 4 loss? Well, we can, we can go back to a FAU right there. So – what it takes to, to uh, erase a quadrant four loss, you never really truly erase it. But so let's say they have the one to uh, Florida Gulf Coast. You can kind of balance it by having a really, really good win against, say, Arizona. The problem is those two kind of offset each other. Yeah. And you kind of take those results, kind of toss them away, and then look at the rest of the resume. So – in order to fully, I guess, uh, fully overcome it, you need another really good win. Yeah. Hopefully for them, the Texas A&M win will, will be that win. Exactly. Like, I, when I have a team with a Quadrant 4 loss, it's I need to see a Quadrant 1 win. And if it's a Quadrant 1A win like FAU has, that holds a little bit more weight than a Quadrant 4 loss does for me. Just the committee has shown before that they value those elite, elite wins like that. So I'm giving them a little extra credit for beating a Quadrant 1A team. But that doesn't mean that that just erases the loss altogether. It's still there. It's still ugly to look at, and it's something that is going to hurt the team. Moving on to the next question. Um, Which of these Blue Bloods has the highest ceiling this year? Duke, Kentucky, or Kansas? So he's talking from a seeding standpoint. Um, I'll start with, it's probably Kansas. If you told me any of them get a one seed, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, any, I mean, UK probably has the better chance than Duke just because the ACC is weaker than the SEC is. So Kentucky should get more quality wins. I would say Kansas is the only one that I'm seriously considering as a threat for a one seed at this moment. Yeah, I was going to say Kansas, too, because they, they're going to have the most opportunities for quality wins and the least 
uh, repercussion for losses. Absolutely. And they already took one of the bad losses in the conference, which is UCF. And that's not even as bad as we thought. Exactly. And they're still just right there chugging along. Uh, uh, Kentucky, I, I think it's going to be difficult for them to get to the one line with the loss to um, UNC Wilmington, even though that's not a terrible loss. I don't know that any of the other teams are going to have a quadrant three loss on their resume. Yeah, because even Duke's loss to Georgia Tech is now quadrant two. Right. So that might keep them off the one line. Just And just lot. there's not many opportunities to get quality wins. Yeah. Well, I mean, Alabama and Auburn and Tennessee, um, and to a lesser extent, Texas A&M, should be good wins if they can get them. For Kentucky, yeah. Yeah. Um, Duke, on the other hand, they're just going to have to roll the entire ACC. Pretty and- much done that so far yeah. they struggled with georgia tech they struggled with notre dame like there's i'm afraid they're going to play down to their opponents and they haven't even played north carolina yet exactly those games are going to be epic this year though it should be so duke's 13 and 3 i kind of put a mark kind of next to the they they will not be able to have more than four losses and be a, and have a chance of being a one seed absolutely they're going to have eight which means they need to Maybe split North Carolina and then win the ACC tournament. Yeah. So I'm hesitant to project anything with tournaments. Um, yeah. I think that the committee values tournaments. We've seen it too much where, like Texas A&M a couple of years back, those teams should make the tournament, but they don't because the committee's already locking in seed lines on like Thursday of championship week. So I try not to read into conference tournaments unless it's a bid stealer. Or if you go out and take a Quadrant 4 loss. Like if Louisville, somebody in the ACC tournament, we'll have a conversation about that. But you're not going to get much credit for the wins. And that's not a personal, my, like, that's not my, like, thought. That's what the committee has shown that they do. Mm-hmm. So that's, like, I would prefer to back off seating a day. And maybe we release everything on Sunday, but stop all the conference tournaments on Saturday by, like, 8 p.m. When I am doing my... um bubble watch and I'm trying to figure out how many more how many more wins a team needs to be a lock I almost always use something to where we know they're in before the conference tournament starts yes the only difference is like the team from the um, non-power leagues where they're going to play quadrant three and four teams in their first and possibly second round second game of the tournament yes and that's I mean we talk about like the high major bias or mid major bias or whatever. It's not a bias. It's legitimately the issue. Unfortunately, you, you don't have the opportunities that the sec has, the big 12 has um, the big 10, the big East, like all of those teams play a lot of quadrant one, quadrant two games, and you're stuck playing quadrant four games. So it's not your fault, but unfortunately you're like the deck stacked against you from the get go. When you pull up uh, McNeese State playing in the uh, playing in the Southland, yeah, it's it's just a perfect example. I mean, we talked we've talked about this before on here, but they debuted at thirty in the net on December first. Haven't lost since, and have dropped some. Let's see, thirty five spots since. Yeah, and their remaining games, if you if you look through, they have one. Two games that are not quadrant four, and they're nickels at two thirty-five in the net, which is a few spots away from being quadrant four, 
and Texas A&M Corpus Christi, which is at 233, which is seven or eight spots away from being quadrant four. So most likely those are quadrant four games. Yes. All around. And, I mean, I have McNeese as a 12 seed right now. They've done well with their schedule, but it's one of those, if they had to have it torn apart because they lose in their conference tournament, their resume is not a tournament resume by any means. They have already played seven Quadrant Four games, and they have pretty much the rest of the season is going to add to that. And then they've played two Quadrant Threes and four Quadrant Twos. They did split the Quadrant Two games, which is good, but that's all they have. They're not making the tournament without something. Um, if you if you look historically for teams like McNeese, um, Princeton, some of these teams that have one or two losses. We've we since the field expanded to sixty four teams in nineteen eighty four eighty five, we've never seen a team finish their season by selection Sunday, have three or fewer losses and not make the tournament. We have seen a couple of four loss teams, Belmont in twenty twenty one in the COVID shortened kind of year, and two thousand three oh four Utah State had four losses and didn't get in. I don't think you know McNeese, James Madison, some of these. If they get to four losses, I don't think they'll make it. If they get there with three, I like their chances better. So in McNeese State, in McNeese's case, they need to run their regular season games and then maybe lose in the conference tournament and have a chance. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we're talking very fine bubble lines. Like, they would p- probably be in Dayton at that point if they were. Yes, for sure. So it's not no like question. we're going to make it and be a single-digit seed or anything. No. No. They would maybe slide in by like the skin of their teeth. Yeah. Um, I evaluating the like 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 lines right now is a mess. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spend a ton of time on any of that, but McNeese is one of those that I'm keeping an eye on. Um, same thing for um, Samford and UC Irvine. All of those could be pretty solid games, but I expect a lot of movement on that week to week. Um, and just to make it clear, I'm using the conference leader right now. So it's not necessarily who I think will get in, but it's where we're at right now. I have the Pac-12 as a two-bid, maybe a three-bid league, but I do not have Oregon in right now. So that's something to keep an eye on. They had to slide in as my automatic qualifier because they're leading the Pac-12, but I don't know if that'll stay. Yeah, Oregon, I don't think, has has a win over a team in the field yet. No, they do not. And they got dismantled by Colorado on Thursday and that helped Colorado. They're in my first four out now. So Colorado has a shot. Colorado losing that game to Cal is probably the reason they're out at the moment. Yes, absolutely. Um, so Zach's last question. Uh, how close is Purdue to locking up the number one overall seed? Zach, this is a miserable question. Uh, do I expect anybody to overtake Purdue this year? Absolutely not. Could Purdue lose every game and get a one seed? No. Is Purdue a lock for the tournament? Yes. Um, I, I'm i not walking them into the number one overall seed until like close to conference tournament time. Because if you took three losses in a row to end the season, that could drop you from number one overall to number three overall for Purdue. So I'd give them a chance plus, but I won't say that it's – a lock at this point. I think Purdue could lose to Iowa this week and still be the number one overall seed, but they can't go 
lose to Iowa, then beat Michigan, then lose to Rutgers on the road, beat yep. Northwestern, then lose to Wisconsin. I think eventually it'll take, I mean, you typically don't see teams with seven or eight losses end up on the one line period. Yeah, That's about the minimum to where you see that. And certainly not the number one overall seed. I agree that something to keep an eye on. I don't, I don't expect Purdue to lose enough games to drop from anywhere, but I don't know how long it'll take for them to get locked. I'd say it'll be a while. And they're going to be playing teams on the road, Ohio State and others that really need those the, the, the win over Purdue to get there. Yeah. Because looking through Ohio State's schedule, it's really difficult to find a path for them to get in the tournament without beating Purdue at home. Yeah. You can, but it's probably less than a 50-50 proposition. Yeah, your best opportunity is to go beat Purdue. Yeah. Um, so I they're going to get everybody's best shot as they've done for years. So I, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Purdue. Um, if they can like withstand it or if they crumble a couple of times. Um, all right. So we will move to a couple more questions. Reckham, Matt, um, thank you for all your questions. He's been interacting a ton. Um, he, he's a big 12 guy. He's a Texas tech guy. Uh, he's been great to interact with on Twitter. He's um, given us a lot of good questions throughout the podcast. Um, and he's got two for us today. The first is, how many realistically get into the tournament from the Mountain West? I'll let Michael start, and then I will follow. Realistic. I think the most likely number is five. I, I, will be more, I, I would be less surprised to see six than I would be only four. Yes. Um, I don't think there's much doubt about San Diego State, Colorado State. A little less, little more doubt on Utah State, but I like their chances. Um, I honestly like Boise State's chances pretty well going forward. Yeah, we'll see how that turns out. Nevada and New Mexico are the ones that I'm kind of nervous about because Nevada's got the wins over TCU and Washington, which are nice, but those are their only wins in the first two quadrants. So they're going to have to pick up some more in the league, which they're going to have plenty of opportunities to, fortunately. Yeah, I have six in right now. Um, but, yeah, like you said, I've got three of them on the 10 line right now, and that's not a great place to be because you're going to have teams in some of these conferences just stack wins and go on a roll. Um, like I would expect eventually Michigan State to pass all of them. Yes, I, I keep expecting Michigan State to do something. But, like, I mean, Thursday night they struggled with Minnesota. Minnesota's, while they're not, like, way out of the tournament, they're not close to being in the bracket right now. No. But they're struggling with teams that I expected them to be blowing out by now, so I don't know what to think. Um, I, Minnesota, Minnesota's on my bubble fringe, and that's a long, long way from the yeah. tournament. Yeah. We're talking less than 20% odds, and eh. you, at home, you got to win that game by yeah. more. Um, so I think Michigan State is the most realistic team to pass everybody i think south carolina will probably regress a little bit as will Ole Miss, so i don't think they'll go anywhere but i a six bid mountain west feels right to me right now but it's that conference is eating each other alive already so it could very well knock a team out like a nevada or a new mexico i like boise like michael said but also they're the last team from the mountain west in my tournament right now and I wish um, New Mexico would have played a tougher non-conference schedule. Yeah, New Mexico's put themselves up against a wall. 
Um, just they didn't play a great schedule, so now they're stuck where they're going to have to win some games away from home, I think. Like, I understand the whole rivalry with New Mexico State, but that's one they may have wanted to only do once and schedule somebody better than that. Yes. Yeah, so that that could very well come back to bite them. Um, but at the same time, just go win. I mean, the Mountain West is a power conference at this point. Just go win your games and you'll be fine. Um, UNLV is probably going to cause some chaos at some point. It looks like it, but they're gonna they're gonna mess with somebody's resume here soon. Um, they, unfortunately, I don't see any way where even if they win win the um, Mountain West tournament, where they suddenly make them a seven bid league, it would take a lot for that to happen. It, they'll probably just take one of the bids from their own conference. Probably, I could see a seven bid league if like UNLV just like fades into the distance and then comes back and wins the tournament, maybe. But if they keep doing what they're doing now, that somebody's going to get dropped. That'll that's exactly how that'll happen. Yeah. Um. All right. So Reckham Matt had one more question. Um. He sent this to us earlier in the week, and it's one of the better questions that I've had. Um. Which is best for the Big Twelve? A couple of teams like Kansas and Baylor, like dominating, or complete like chaos where they just beat up on each other and the conference race is even. But maybe teams like Cincinnati, Kansas State find ways to win and maybe jump into the tournament, which would we think is better for the Big 12? Um, I think his original context was more for like how many seeds, like what's the best case for us to get seeds in the Big 12? So I would say beating up on teams, if you're trying to get more teams into the tournament, having a team like Cincinnati or Kansas State go beat a team like Kansas or Baylor would help your chances more than one team running the table and just running away with it. I would agree. Uh, if if Kansas, Houston, and Baylor don't yield many wins to the teams that need them, you'll have fewer teams in the tournament. At the same time, if they do, you may have more teams in, but you might have fewer teams at the one and two and three line. Yeah. I think that for the Big 12, they need to go out and just – I mean, it's the best conference in the country. I'm not saying it's not. But I don't care that they get 10 teams into the tournament. I care that they put teams in the Elite Eight in the Final Four. So I think it's time to start talking which would be better for that. Would be Kansas or Baylor just really getting hot and playing at a peak level by March. Um, but I can totally understand, like, if you're wanting to, like, stack bids – the best thing to do is just to let somebody go upset Kansas and somebody upset Baylor and BYU and like those kinds of teams. Well, that's what has TCU and Iowa State in the bracket right now. Absolutely. I mean, TCU, they were on my bubble. They have been the biggest mover in the last two weeks. TCU is now a seven. Iowa State's been in the tournament just like as an eight or a nine, but they're now a seven. Like both of those teams have benefited greatly from winning the games that they have won since Big 12 play started. Um, anything else on the Big 12? No, I think we discussed the Big 12 enough. I mean, we like the Big 12, but we're trying to keep it a little yeah. bit. Fun. Um, so Justin Kosha had said this. Um, seems like seed lines are much tighter than the last year's. Um, examples like the teams on the seven lines feel like they could be much closer to eight and nine um, or anything like that. 
is there like a reason is it actually true and why um so yes you're you're right justin it has been very tight this year um i would say starting at the six line even it's a mess one of the biggest issues is i can point five teams out six teams out that played terrible non-conference schedules in that grouping and the weak schedules have just resulted in us having so much like I don't want to say parody, but like when we've gotten to conference play and teams like TCU and Iowa State have had to start playing teams, it's like put up or shut up. And some teams are going to put up, some teams aren't. And you're starting to see this even out a little bit. Um, I still didn't like putting the bracket together because it's still a mess, but it was much better today than it was last two weeks ago or so. Um, I think we'll start to see it just become a little bit better um, each and every week. Yeah, I think it's 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 pretty close at this point. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't take much for Memphis and Clemson to fall further down. It also wouldn't take much for the likes of St. John's to move up higher. Yes. And, I mean, some of these conferences being so good, and, like, you have the Kansas and the Yukons and teams like that that have played great non-conference schedules that are just sitting up there ready to, like, be attacked and not fall mm-hmm. like Kansas can lose a game to I don't know Cincinnati and Kansas would stay on the two line but Cincinnati may drop eight nine spots overall because that's such a good win mm-hmm. so that's the that hasn't been like that last year um and the couple years I've done it it hasn't been like that as bad um and some of like the bracketology colleagues I interact with have said the same thing all right, we have one more question from Gavin Benz. Again, thank you guys. You all three of you that gave questions today have been given a lot of questions each episode. We really appreciate it. Um, and you all have had great questions. Keep them coming. Um, Gavin said, how do the TV guys have such terrible brackets? Do they have a formula or do they just slap something together? I want to start with the TV guys are interesting to follow. I don't love using their brackets for anything and you should not be using just one big guy's bracketology. You shouldn't be using my bracketology solely or anybody's bracketology solely. You should be looking at three or four. The issue that I have with the TV guys is they're paid by an employer. I'm not paid by like a certain network or anything, but like guys like Lenardi and Palm and DeCourcy are paid by people that have TV contracts it's better for ratings if DeCourcy puts an extra Big East team in the tournament or moves St. John's from an eight to a seven just to help with ratings. I'm not saying they all do it, but it definitely plays a role. And I can tell you right now, the ESPN guys definitely will put teams in to make it look like a better matchup or a bigger game. That certainly looks like it. Um, And I'm not saying that they're bad at what they do because I mean, Joe Lenardi is the pioneer of bracketology. He started all of this this whole like side of college basketball wouldn't be here without him. Um, that being said, he's not great to follow. I don't know that he has a formula. I think that they look at team sheets and do it a little bit more subjectively. And I don't think they use like numbers or anything like a lot of us do. Um, but I think that it's difficult to like give them a judgment because they're required to do so much more than what I have to do. If that makes sense. It does. And I, 
there are times where it feels like they these got these play these te- they just didn't watch games. Yeah, like Boise State and Clemson both lost games that, especially in Boise State's case, they really ne- needed to not lose. I'm not saying it should have dropped them out of the field, but they're sitting at like eight, and Clemson I think was still sitting at, as a five seed. Yeah, there has to be some sort of a you know repercussion for Clemson losing to do they lose to a Georgia Tech? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Let me look. And it's not like it shouldn't be game to game that matters. It right. was Georgia Tech. That's a quadruple yeah. loss. Yeah. It shouldn't be like oh you lost to Georgia Tech. I'm immediately dropping you two seed lines because of that. Right. But that's a negative metric impact. That's a bad loss. Like, that's not like when they lost to Virginia Tech at Virginia Tech. Like, right. those games should drop you. And also, it's just a not that recency bias should play in, but the fact that they, you know, not all these losses are bad, but lost to uh, North Carolina, lost to Virginia Tech, like you mentioned, just lost to Georgia Tech. They lost the game before that, too. To Miami, not, yeah. Miami, right. Not so the bad losses, but, you, but right, one of the last, exactly. You keep piling up these losses, I don't, it should impact your overall resume, which there's no reason for them to be up on the five line right now. Absolutely. I mean, I have them on the seven, and that felt generous. Just, it was down to them or FAU for the last line, and Clemson has less quadrant four losses because they don't have any. And there are times where it feels like they go through the first six, seven, eight seed lines and then just go, okay, uh, South Carolina, you go here in the 10 line. I don't know. Yep. And I, I get that. It is hard to sit here and evaluate these teams fairly. And, I mean, guys like DeCourcy and Lenardi have obligations on TV and stuff like that that they have to do other than just bracketology. I get that. So it's not easy for them to sit down and do it. But what I want to see more of, and DeCourcy does pretty well at this. I've actually had him, like, I've interacted with him multiple times. I want you to explain why you have somebody where you do. Like, if you can give me a good rationale for keeping Clemson on the five line, if it's, oh, I think they're going to win a bunch of games in the ACC and they're going to keep rising. Okay, fine. I can understand that. But when you just throw a bracket out there, it looks like that's what you're saying everybody's at right now. So my biggest gripe with the TV guys is I want the interaction. I want them to give rationale for why they have people where they have them. Yeah, I, I could I could see projecting forward at some point Boise State being an 8-9 seed. I yeah. can't see it right now. And that's the issue. Like, that's my biggest, like, gripe is they don't tell us how they do anything. So I don't know if they use a formula or if they're just slapping a bracket together and blindly placing teams because they won't explain anything. So that's why I say go use the bracket matrix. Use a bunch of these guys on Twitter. There's, I mean, there's 10 plus of us that are on here that interact with you and will respond. And I'll tell you exactly why I have your team where I have them. Um, I mean, I've had a Georgia fan that just wants to know where they're at and what they need to do. And I sat down and like did like a full breakdown of their season and what they needed to do to try to get in the tournament. Like nobody's opposed to doing that. And that's what we want to see. So feel free to reach out and just keep asking questions like that. One thing we'll have kind of some fun doing as we get to February is looking towards like teams most likely path to a bit if they're on the bubble, which is a lot of fun to go through. Yeah. 
Yeah. So these episodes, the Saturday episodes, especially are going to become a lot more like bracketology heavy. Um, and then the top 25 episodes during the week will say top 25s, but we're going to start getting into a lot more of, Hey, you've got six games left, go win one, two and five and you're in, or mm-hmm. you need to win all six to have a chance. Like, that's the really fun part about the season, and that's where we're headed here in the next couple weeks. Um, Michael, do you have anything else you want to add? I think that's about it. So, I mean, we've covered probably 60 teams today, um, not in depth or anything like that, but just kind of going through the bracket and looking at teams. Um Thank you all for listening. This is, like I said, what we're going to start trending more towards about an hour of just us breaking down where teams are at in the bracket. Um, uh, Michael is putting out bubble watch articles. He's, I'm going to mooch off of him. He's posting on nkybracketology.com. You can find all of his content there. um, And he's breaking everything down um, really in detail and detail that I don't have time to do with my other job and keeping up with, um, editing the podcast and everything so please check those articles out i use them just as like references for myself they're great reads and they kind of help keep you in light of where everybody stands he's got them broken down by conference and um, he'll be putting out like some updates as we go along um, aside from that um, we'll be back on probably tuesday morning with our top 25 episode um, there should be lots of movement today this episode should hopefully be out sometime saturday afternoon if there's been any indication of from the last couple of Saturdays, uh, this should be pretty chaotic. Yeah, and this is a loaded sleep, so it. I'm expecting some fun tonight. I do too. Well, thank you everybody for listening. Um, we will be back soon, and please like, follow, subscribe, share it. Um, it means a lot to us. Thank you guys. Thank you. <laughs>